Now, this week, uh, if you have your Bibles uh, or your method of getting to Scripture, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, this today is a day that traditionally is called, does anybody know? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is what we traditionally call today, the week before Easter, okay? I want to talk about some things today. It's a little different message. Uh, it may step on some toes. It may make a few people upset. You may not like me as much, but remember, uh, I'll just tell you up front, this is not my doctrine. You know, if you look in front of your Bible and you won't see the doctrine of the life church in there, or you won't, and I'm going to use a lot of scripture this morning. So just get ready for that. There's a lot of scripture. Doesn't mean that the message is going to be terribly long, but uh, we're going to be going through a lot of scripture because what I believe the Lord wants us to hear this morning uh, needs, uh, as all of his word does, uh, plenty of scripture. So we know that it's not me saying it, it's not Google, but it is the word of God. Amen. And so we're going to talk about a few things this morning that have to do with uh, next week is uh, the day that we celebrate what? Easter, right? Easter for the world, but for those of us who are, have an inside track, right? Resurrection Sunday, because it's the day that Jesus uh, was resurrected. We'll talk about that a little bit too. Uh, now, the reason why I want to bring some of these things out, a lot of people say, well, you know, some of the things in terms of dealing with Christianity, our religion, our faith, and all of those types of things uh, are not as important. And we argue about these things. And uh, I agree that there are some things that are tradition that are okay. There's some traditions that are good. For example, uh, you know, Jesus told us as often as you do this, referring to communion, do this in remembrance of me, didn't he? And so that could be a tradition, and that's a good tradition. There are some traditions that are okay. They're ne neither good nor bad. They don't add or they don't take away. It's just, in all you do, do it as unto the Lord. That's okay, okay? There's some traditions that take away from the word of God. If you read in Mark chapter 7... Verse 13, it talks very clearly in that scripture about how we can make the word of God of no effect through your tradition. Through your tradition. So there are certain traditions that we can practice or uphold that will actually work against the word of God. And I want to talk about a couple of those things this morning, okay? Uh, so today is called Palm Sunday. That comes from the book of John in, in chapter 12, uh, where Jesus was making what we call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And uh, some of the gospels say that the people who were receiving him took branches from trees. John's gospel in chapter 12 says that they took palm you know, palm branches in uh, John chapter 12, verse 13, uh, palm branches down and they, you know, laid that before Christ. And so that's where we get Palm Sunday from. OK, and so I just want to deal with some things today. All right. So let's first go to first Corinthians chapter 15. All right. If you have your scripture, have your Bible. If you're there with me, say I'm there. All right. We'll start at chapter 15, look at verse 12. Bible says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see, even Paul dealt with it back then, right after uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection and all that. There were still those who doubted the resurrection, okay? He was dealing with that. If Christ is preached that has he has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Or our preaching is in vain, see? Yes, verse 15, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise for if the dead do not rise then Christ is not risen 
And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile or your faith is, your faith is in vain and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life we have hope in Christ, we are all of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, the Jesus man, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. Verse 24, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy that will be destroyed is Death, the last enemy, hallelujah, that will be destroyed is death. After resurrection, no more death. After resurrection, no more death. We must understand that the capstone of our life is really summed up in this passage of scripture, that Christ is raised from the dead. You know, we celebrate this thing that the world calls Easter, we as Christians know as Resurrection Sunday, uh, this is a message. Some of this stuff, you know, you heard before and you hear it every year. But listen, you know, how many of you have a birthday every year, right? And we, we celebrate you every year, right? The same old you, you know, same old cake with your name on the cake, right? A couple more candles maybe. But, uh, you know, we celebrate that. And so uh, I believe it's important and even paramount that we talk about this resurrection and what it means uh, as often as we can in every year. And so it is the capstone of our religion. You see, if actually it's the capstone of our life, because actually if Christ is not risen, then all we have is religion. And I want to submit to you in my humble opinion Religion is the absolute worst thing that has ever happened to humanity. Religion. It's the absolute worst thing. It is an abomination. You see, Christ didn't come uh, to save you so that you could get into religion. He never did that. He never did. He never died for your religion. He died so that you could live an abundant life. He died so that you could be saved. He died so that you could cross over. He died because if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He didn't die for religion. There are those who have tried to make Christianity religion, but it is not religion. See, here's what, here's what religion is. My wife and I, some time ago, went to uh, Los Angeles, and we, you know, did a vacation out in L.A. for about a week and uh, went to Hollywood. You know, we enjoyed ourselves, had a good time. And part of that uh, vacation, we went to the uh, behind-the-stage, you know, behind-the-scenes tour where you kind of tour the lots of Warner Brothers and you see how they make movies and all that. And one of the things that we found out is a lot of those movie sets, well, all of those movie sets are simply facades. You know, you look on the outside and you see all this great building and the steps and all of this stuff. But then if you walk and go right behind it, there's nothing. It's just a prop. You see, and that's what religion is. Looks good on the outside, but there is nothing there on the inside. No substance, nothing. Religion cannot save you. Religion can do nothing for you. I know in Indiana right now, controversial subject, everybody's all up in arms about the religious freedom bill, uh, you know, separation of church and religion. We've talked about all kinds of things that deal with religion. Listen, and I want to tell you, for me personally, don't come to me and, and want to argue with me about the religion freedom bill. The only thing that I'm going to stand for is the Bible. 
All right, I'm a biblican. I don't know which side you're on. That's fine. We can argue both sides. You know, it's kind of like you can you can get some scriptures to say this side, some scriptures to say that side. All right, and it's and that's fine. We and people should do that, right? We should have a good society, and the right thing should prevail. But for me, I am dedicating my life to what the Bible says. Amen. So what the Bible says is what we should follow. So religion is a terrible thing. Jesus did not come to save us for religion. Nor did he rise from the dead for religion. We need to put that aside. Religion. Religion is not what you are in. You see, religion is something that you do. Christian is who you are. That's who we are. That's who Jesus died for, who we are. He died for who we are. Now, I want to define uh, or take a look at a couple terms. This scripture, this passage of scripture we just read is really our capstone. It's the foundation for what we're going to be talking about uh, briefly today. But I want to define a couple terms. I told you we were going to go to a lot of scripture today. Uh, And so uh, turn to John chapter 11. I want to talk a little bit about a couple of terms, raised from the dead and resurrection. Because there's a difference in those two terms, just so we know it. God wants us to have knowledge. Amen. He reveals things to us and we should know about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We should know the apostles doctrine. The Bible clearly says that. Amen. And we should know what God has to say to us. So John chapter 11. Let's look in John chapter 11 at verse number 24. Start at 24. It says, Martha said to him, talking about Jesus, this is after Lazarus died, says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He said, I am the resurrection. You ever heard those words before in the Bible? I am. God told Moses, I am that I am. Jesus told the disciples before Moses was, I am. I am the resurrection. So what is Jesus trying to get her to see? He's trying. She said, I know he will, he will rise again on the last day, the resurrection day. But what Jesus is trying to get her to see and us to see is that the resurrection is not a day. It's a person. I am the resurrection. For if you're not in Jesus, you won't have part in the resurrection that gives eternal life with God. I am the resurrection. Now, there's another term that's used in here. Turn to Romans chapter 6, verse number 9. Going through the Bible here. If you don't know where all your books of the Bible are, you may know by the end of this morning. Romans chapter 6, verse 9. Now listen, to, listen. To, Paul used this term, raised from the dead, but I want to show you something here. Paul said, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. Now, when he referred to Christ's resurrection, he used the term here, raised from the dead. But if you look in the original Greek, it really literally translates resurrection. And how you know that is he qualified it because he said he who he has been raised from the dead and he dies no more. You see, if you've been resurrected, there is no more death. If you've been raised from the dead, you will have to die again. You see, Lazarus died. Jesus raised him from the dead, but he had to die again. And so that's the difference in being raised from the dead and the resurrection. Look at another scripture in in Luke chapter 20. I think this will help us. Go back uh, a couple of uh, books. Luke chapter 20. This will help us with what we're talking about here. Raised from the dead and the resurrection. Luke chapter 20. I'm looking at verse 34. Luke chapter 20 verse 34. Jesus answered and said to them... The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage nor can they die anymore. See, he's talking about the sons of resurrection 
cannot die anymore. And so this tells us that whenever we see resurrection, it's saying that there is no more death after resurrection. If you are raised from the dead, then you have to die again. See, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He raised the widow of Nain's son from the dead. But they all had to die again. When Jesus was resurrected, he is resurrected forever. No more death for him. And then when we are resurrected in him, there is no more death for us. We now have eternal life. Eternal life. That's the difference in raised from the dead and the resurrection. So we want to participate in what? The resurrection, right? I mean, if we, if somebody flatlined, Sister Jody, I know you're not at the hospital anymore. You know, somebody come in and pray. We want them to be raised from the dead, right? So that they can live a little longer with us. But at some point, we are going to grieve that person because they will die. Unless Jesus comes first. But after that, there's no more opportunity. There's no more of those whistles, the, the paddles. We have no more of those. Clear? No more of that. It ain't going to happen. Unless Jesus raises you, it's not going to happen. And so we want to be ready for the resurrection. And there's only one way for that, for us to be saved, to be a new creature. All right, we'll talk about that at the end. All right, now, Acts chapter 12. A lot of different verses. We're just getting a little exercise. Really, I did this because I knew you guys were tired. I didn't want anybody to fall asleep this morning. So I said, let's just turn to a lot of scripture. No, that's not. Jody, no, that's not true. No. Acts chapter 12. Now, next week, we, you know, we wonder, where does this term Easter come from? I'm, just, I'm talking about a lot of different things here. This is not one of your typical sermons where I have, you know, my 18 points and I just go down the, the thing. This is just something God put on my heart this week. Um, Acts chapter 12, verse 4. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers be, uh, to, be, to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after. Now, in the King James Version, it says Easter. But if you, again, look at this word in the Greek, it comes from the Greek word pasha, all right, which means Passover. And so it is Passover, not Easter. Here's where Easter came from a time when there was an emperor, Constantine. Okay, and you can look this up. Uh, Constantine had a, an experience with God. And then so he wanted to make the national or world religion, uh, as he called it, religion, Christianity, uh, but not to upset, you know, those who were, uh, you know, sort of doing other things and involved in other religions. He sort of melded it all together. You know, as the world does when they do things like this. They melded it all together. And so he put Easter with Christianity's Passover and all that. And so that's how it kind of came together. It all melded together. But really, we, it is not separate but equal. We are separate and uh, more powerful. Put it that way. All right. It's not Easter. We, we don't take part in that. Uh, you know, listen, we... I don't have anything, we don't celebrate Easter with, uh, you know, with, with the world in the way that uh, we would celebrate the Passover. You know, we might do some of those things. You know, I, I don't, you know, the rabbits and the, and the eggs, you know, the chocolate egg. Now, I like the chocolate eggs. I'll eat some chocolate eggs. But I don't eat the chocolate eggs because I'm celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I just eat chocolate eggs because they're good and they taste good. You know, and everybody else got chocolate eggs at Easter, so I'll eat some chocolate eggs. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, if you want to have an Easter egg hunt and all those type of things, nothing wrong with that. As long as you are teaching your kids and you know the distinction between the world's Easter holiday and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they are not melded together. This was a Passover that we're celebrating. He was the fulfillment of the Passover, right? So that's where Easter came from. All right, now on to everybody uh, I know is kind of with me so far, you know, amen, religion, not, not about religion and all those things. Now, let's get into uh, what could be for some a little controversial subject, all right? I want to talk a little bit this morning about Good Friday. Somebody going, hmm, I know my wife is. Because she hears it all the time. <laughs> Good Friday. I want to talk about this thing. Uh, you know, I, uh, my wife got on to me 
about looking up where Good Friday came from. And so I will have you know, I went to a little place yesterday called the library. Most people might not have heard of that today. It's where Google gets all their information. Okay, it's the case. It's, it's, a, it's a real place. They got books, things like that there, you know, where you can read books and stuff like that. And uh, look this thing up. And so um, Good, Good Friday really came from what I believe a misinterpretation of Scripture. You will find, if you look it up, you know, you can, you can go talk to Google and they'll tell you a lot of different things about Good Friday. But I want to just show you some scripture. And then I'll tell you what. I'll show you some scripture and I'll let you make up your own mind about this thing. But here's the thing. Go back to the very first scripture, Nehemiah, Mark, uh, Mark, 17, uh, Mark 7, uh, 13. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but put that up. Here's the thing. This is why I want to talk about some of this stuff. Making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. Okay, this is why I think it's important to at least talk about, preach about, share some of these things that we do uh, time and time again. And most of the time we do them simply because that's the way they've always been done. It's the way they've always been done. I'll tell you a little secret. Listen, I'm personally not trying to step on your toes. But I'll tell you this. When Jesus came, he came to destroy tradition and religion. There were things that the Pharisees did, the sad UCs did, and uh, all of these people did. And uh, he came and just, he destroyed all of that. And they said, well, it was in the law. They even had some, some scripture, what they thought was right. But the living, breathing scripture was here now, right? He superseded everything, all right? And so I would go by what he has to say, I would think. I would think he would know, all right? So... Good Friday. Let's look at a couple scriptures. Turn to Mark chapter number 15. Mark, I know this has got you turning. That's all right. We get a little exercise this morning. Get a little thumb finger exercise. All right. Mark chapter 15, verse 42, says this says, now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. It says, now when the evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. How many people have heard the word Sabbath, right? You know that word, or, or what is it, Shabbat? Yeah, Shabbat, Sabbath. You've heard that term, the word before? Literally translated, what does Sabbath mean? Anybody? Sabbath. Sabbath, rest. That's what I was looking for. It does mean the last day of the week, uh, but it means a day of rest, right? A day of rest. That's what Sabbath means. And so we know that it is a very common knowledge amongst Christians, Jews, and most of the rest of the world that the Jewish Sabbath, weekly Sabbath, is on the last day of the week, which is Saturday, right? Would you agree with that? And so when you read this verse of scripture here in Mark, and it says now because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, what would you naturally think? It would be, uh, it would be Friday. That's what I would think. I mean, some people get their days of the week mixed up, you know. I mean, I have been known to do that. But deductive reasoning would tell you that if the Sabbath is on Saturday, then the preparation day that they're talking about here uh, must be Friday, Right? But how many know that we cannot read one scripture in the Bible and base our whole existence on just one scripture, right? Because God spoke from Genesis to Revelation. And so we've got to study, as Paul told Timothy, to show ourselves approved, okay? By the way, let me just, let me just give you a a side note on this. Uh, If, if, we're, you know, we made an announcement here that there's a church in town. Uh, actually, some pastors are getting together with their congregations, those who want to come, and we're celebrating on a Good Friday. 
right, at a, at a, at a church. And I plan on participating in that. Um, I am not coming against anyone else or if we celebrate Good Friday, I'm just trying to give you the truth of the information so you'll know. See, you can still eat Easter eggs on, you know, when we celebrate the resurrection. That's okay. But just as long as you know the true knowledge of what you're doing, okay? And you know what God wants you to know. It's important. It's very important. So let's look at some more scriptures. You would think preparation day, Sabbath is Saturday. Preparation day the day before must be Friday. Well, let's look at John chapter 19. John, not first John, but the, the gospel of John. Chapter 19, John right before Acts. All right. John 19. And I think this kind of helps narrow it down a, a little bit. Cha- uh, verse 14. It says, now it was the preparation day of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, behold your king. This is referring to the same instance that we just read in Mark. It was the preparation day before the Passover. It was a preparation day before the Sabbath, and it was the preparation day before the Passover. Okay, that kind of helps us narrow it down a little bit. That should give you a little clue. Because the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath happens 52 times a year. And usually they wouldn't call the day before the weekly Sabbath a preparation day. They just had the Sabbath every Saturday. And it began at 6 p.m. Friday night and ended at 6 p.m. Saturday evening. Right? 24-hour period. Night and day. We'll see that in a little bit. Night and day. That was the weekly Sabbath. So when you see this, and it says, now it was the preparation day of the Passover, that ought to give you a little clue. Hmm, maybe this might be something a little different. The Sabbath, but now they said it's the preparation day of the Passover. Well, let's stay right there in John, and let's go down to verse number 31. Verse 31 in chapter 19 says, therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken. So now it's the preparation day before the Sabbath. It's the preparation day before the Passover. But this was a high day. It's telling you that it's a different day than the weekly Sabbath. Not to say it couldn't have happened on a Saturday, but there was something a little bit different about what he's talking about here. We, we must understand, turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 12. That's yeah, Exodus. That's back in the Old Testament. I know some people may not have read the Old Testament since King got shot, but it's still relevant today. The Old Testament is still relevant. It's there. Second book of the Bible, look to Genesis, then Exodus. We, we must understand, as you're turning there, that the Bible is a progressive revelation, okay? In other words, God didn't just say, okay, come here today and I'm going to give you all the information in one day. Put it all in one bucket and give you everything all at one time. He couldn't do that. We, we can't even learn that way. That's why it takes 12 years to get through, uh, you know, schooling before we even get to college (laughs) right because it's progressive and God gives us progressive revelation okay so look at Exodus chapter 12 I guess I need to get there I said it was the what second book of the Bible all right that helps me and I'm gonna read a a lengthy passage here starting at verse one so we'll we'll kind of maybe this will start coming together a little bit We're talking about, it was the, remember, this was the preparation day before the Passover, okay? Before the Passover. You with me on that? Preparation day before the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. He didn't say it will be the beginning of months. He said it will be your beginning of months. Okay, so we're not... 
necessarily talking about January, but he's saying this month now, which is the month of Nisan, he's saying this will be your beginning of months. We're talking about God's time frame. It shall be the first month of the year to you, to you. Speak to all the congregation, this is the Lord speaking, of Israel saying on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. According to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month then the whole assembly of the congregation of israel shall kill it at twilight which is 6 p.m and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it then they shall eat the flesh on that night roasted in fire with the unleavened bread and with the bitter herbs they shall eat it do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water but roasted in fire its head with its legs and its entrails you shall let none of it remain until morning and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand here we go so you shall eat it in haste it is the lord's passover the the old testament for us much of the old testament is a type and shadow god did physically in the old testament what he would do spiritually for us in the new testament things like uh circumcision Circumcision still happens today. And I'm not just talking about the physical circumcision, but the, the biblical circumcision still happens today. But what God did in the Old Testament was he wanted to show us physically what was, happened, what was going to happen spiritually. And so male boys were circumcised on the eighth day physically, and that gave, they got their name on that day. But today, after Jesus died and rose again, the veil was rent. He was showing us then that now what happens is when you are water baptized by immersion, I don't have enough time to go into all that today, you are circumcised of the heart. So physically in the Old Testament, one thing happened. In the New Testament, it happened spiritually. He just had to show us physically in the Old Testament. So you read here, he's saying you need to take a lamb. That lamb shall be without spot or blemish. And on the 14th day of the month, of this month, your first month of the year, to you, the 14th day of this month, that lamb will be killed. Okay? Sound kind of familiar? A lamb without blemish. Okay? 14th day of the month. That was the Passover. Could it be that the New Testament scriptures that we just read when they said it was a preparation day for the Passover refers to the Passover that God had established way back in Exodus? See, so he's not referring to the weekly Sabbath on Saturday. He's referring to the Passover. In fact, there were many different sabbaths again i don't have time to to go into all that there was more than one type of sabbath but before i go to first corinthians 5 7 let me just tie this part of it together real quick back to the new testament where you're comfortable first corinthians first corinthians 5 7 all right says this therefore paul said purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened for indeed christ our passover was sacrificed for us do you begin to see how this comes together christ is our passover and so this preparation day that they're talking about is a preparation for the passover the passover now, it was referred to in one of the Gospels as a Sabbath, but it was a high day. It was a different Sabbath. And to show you that, actually, I won't read all these scriptures. If you have a, a pencil or a pen, piece of paper, write, write this down. 
Write some of these. You can look it up. Write this down. Leviticus chapter 23. And in that, actually, you can just write down that whole chapter. But I know uh, Leviticus is a, you know, it's an Old Testament scripture. And some of us, you know, sometimes kind of have trouble reading through some of the Old Testament scriptures. Leviticus 23, verses 3 to 8. Verses 24 to 27, same chapter. Verse 32, verse 34, and verse 35. If you, if you read through those scriptures, you'll see that there were many different types of Sabbaths. Leviticus 23, 3 to 8. 24 to 27, verse 32, verse 34, and verse 35. You'll see that there were many different types of Sabbaths. Now, we'll look at one verse of Scripture. All right, told you we were looking at a lot of them this morning. Numbers chapter 28. Numbers 28, verse 16 says, on the 14th day of the first month, remember, we already established, it's not January. It was, you know, the month that they were in, which was the month of Nisan. The 14th day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord. And on the 15th day of the month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. All right, a different feast. It shall be eaten for seven days. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation. That word is translated Sabbath. The Greek, the Hebrew word for that is Sabbath. You shall do no customary work. You shall present an offering made by fire as a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls. And then he goes on. And if you read those scriptures in Leviticus that I gave you, it talks about all kind of different uh, Sabbaths and holy convocations. So it wasn't the, 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 the uh, weekly Sabbath was not the only Sabbath referred to in the Bible. Okay, hopefully you're with me. If not, study it out. It's there. It is there. And so this the thing about Good Friday, it's okay because we want to celebrate the Lord, okay? And you may say, well, why do you feel that it's so important to show that he may not have died on Friday? Simply because that is one of those things to me that is just, no, you know, mo- a lot of people, I won't say nobody because I have not, you know, queried everybody in the world, but a lot of people don't really study. We just listen. We hear somebody say something. We just take that and that's it. We don't read the Bible for ourselves. And there's many things like this. It just happens to be resurrection. It happens to be, you know, passion week for us. And so this is coming out. But there's many things like this that you need to study the Bible for yourself. You know, what Mike says is all right. Uh, what you say is okay sometimes. But listen, just what we say is not the truth if it doesn't come from the Word of God. Because Jesus said, I am the truth, the only truth. There is no other truth. You can't come in from the side. You can't make up your own. You can't say, well, what about this? If, G- if it's not Jesus, it's not truth. That may be intolerant to some people. But with that particular thing, we must be intolerant. Because Jesus is Lord and he is true, okay? And so, this thing with Good Friday, let's look at, let's look at another scripture, Matthew chapter 12. Jesus used this term, three days and three nights. Now, here, here's something that I want to address because you'll find it, you'll find it when you, when you, uh, you know, like I say, when you, I'll say you Yahoo it because Google's not the only one, is it? You know, when you go to answers.com or, you know, one of those things. And uh, you look it up, you'll find the argument that, you know, the Jews didn't necessarily always use a full 24 hours as a day. You know, they referred to, you know, maybe a lesser amount of time as a day. Well, I don't want to offend you because I agree with what we what we talked about last week and a couple of weeks ago that, uh, listen, we need to be praying for Israel and all of those things. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. I'm not looking for a Jewish tradition necessarily. What I'm looking for is what the word of God says and what the Bible says. That's what we have to go by. That's what the Jews have to go by. That's what we have to go by. Okay. That's what all of us have to go by. So I'm not going to go by what maybe a group of people used. All right. I want to, if God said it, then I'll go by it. Okay. 
That's, that's fine. It's not that. But if, if it's in here, we need to see what, what, what time frame did God use? What, he established it very clearly, as you'll see, time frame in the Bible. So where did I tell you to go? Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. Let's look, Matthew chapter 12, oh, verse, let's see, 39, 30, let's, let's look at 38. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Here, here, let me just read it. The, uh, see, 12, what did I say, 12, 12, 38. The Pharisees were asking for a sign. And uh, he, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, teacher, talking to Jesus, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign will be given you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For, now listen closely, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, I want to tell you something. I, you know, I went to college and uh, later in life, and I took a, an astronomy class. You know, astronomy class is one of the hardest classes uh, I think that you can take. Now, maybe that's just me. Some of you, Beatrice, go, astronomy wasn't nothing. I could do that easy, you know, because she's so smart. Uh, you know, Brother Andy, he, well, see, I know you, Andy, know all that, you know, you're splitting atoms and atoms and doing all that kind of stuff. But to me, it was difficult, you know, and uh, they use very complicated formulas to talk about parallax and all these kind of things. Matthew, you know all that, Matthew. You know, you too, he said, oh, let's see, astronomy was difficult. And we used all kind of different formulas and scales. And di- I want to tell you something, brother, sister, I don't care what calculator you got. There is no way that you can come up with three days and three nights from Friday to Saturday. You can, you can make, say, three days by going Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because there was a scripture that says on the third day. But where does nights? Where the nights? If he, was, if he was crucified on Friday, you got Friday night, you got Saturday night, and I Friday night, Saturday night, I can't get another night. Now, if you can get another night, you got a good calculator. Or you got, you doing something good back there, Brother David. I don't know what you're using, but you're using something good. Now, three days and three nights, I will be in the belly of the beast. Let's go back to Jonah, okay? See if you can find Jonah in the Old Testament. See if I can find Jonah. Let, let, me, let me help you a little bit. Some of you, some of you read, you know, Jonah. Some of you read, uh, you know, some of these things in the Old Testament. And you're pretty good at getting around in the Old Testament. I used to have, I used to lead a Bible study uh, downtown Indy. And, uh, you know, one of the things is in this Bible study, it was made up of mostly church people. All right. And uh, they were very proud people, you know. And so when you said, let's go to Habakkuk, you know, they didn't want you to know that they had to search for Habakkuk. And so one of the things that I did, Sister Lois, is I said, look, who in here, and I'll ask you, who in here can recite the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation? Just go always, besides Andy. I know Andy can. Can anybody else go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Chronicle, and go all the way through. And besides Carrie, okay, we got a couple. I would say most people, you can't, brother, yes, brother Chris. That's right. Woo! So some of the kids. Should, all right. So the kids, let's go. Start Genesis <laughs> and just sixty-six books. That is very good. We need to get back to that. <laughs> We need to get back to that. We really do. Most people, well, okay, here I go again generalizing. A lot of people cannot recite the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So until you get there, until you're able to take a wana with Brother Chris, even if you're an adult, you might need to do that. Yeah, uh, right? Until you get there, there's a little thing in the front of your book called an index. And it's okay to turn to the index to see what page Jonah's on. All right, it's on page 812, just in case you didn't know. So you can go to Jonah, all right? 
I told my Bible study folks, I said, look, this is okay, just go to the front. The most important thing is to get to the scripture. It's all right, you don't have to prove, you know. If you can't find Jonah, find Obadiah. <laughs> all right, you might not be able to find Obadiah, then find Micah. If you can find one of those two, uh, Jonah is the salami in between the sandwich of Obadiah and Micah. And if you can't find, just cheat off of somebody else or just believe that I'm telling the truth. Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord had appeared, uh, prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I just wanted to show you that to show you what Jesus was referring to was real. It was something that really happened. It was back in Jonah. And he said, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights... I will be in, be in the heart of the earth, the belly of the earth, if you will, three days and three nights. Now, remember, how much time? Remember earlier we were talking about a day, and I want to show this to you. Let me see. I'll show this to you in just a second. It won't be much longer. Uh, how God looks at how God looks at days and nights. Six p.m. to six a.m. I mean, 6 p.m. to six p.m. Six p.m. Friday to six p.m. Saturday was the Sabbath. Right? So that made a full cycle, all right, of a day. So how can, how can we justify or how can we come up with Jesus was crucified on Friday and then he rose early Sunday morning? If you really look at time frames, if he was crucified Friday night, a little before 6, and he rose early, because the Bible will see, the Bible said that uh, Mary got there early Sunday morning, right? Uh, really when the sun was rising, she got there. That really was about a day and a half. If you really look at it, wasn't that long. But he st- clearly says three days and three nights. Look at Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 to further the cause. We need to know what the Bible says about these issues. Matthew chapter 27 And look at verse, all the way down to verse 63. That's almost to chapter 28. Verse verse 63 saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive, referring to Jesus, how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Here, he says, after three days, I will rise. Turn over to Mark 8.31. It's important. Don't just take my word for it. Know that it's in Scripture. Mark 8, verse 31. This is when he said, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after Three days rise again. After three days rise again. Even over in, in uh, verse nine, um, chapter 9, verse 31, he taught the disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is, be, is be, being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. So often here he talks about three days. Three days and three nights. After three days, I will rise again. After three days. Well, according to what we read in Exodus, you might not remember, but we just read it. But the Passover lamb was killed on the 14th day of the month of Nisan. Okay? You looked at that. He just said this month. Okay? It was, he was killed on the 14th day. So unless the 14th day of the month always falls on Friday, then we can say that it is possible that he did not die on a Friday. The Passover lamb was killed on the 14th day. Passover, we, we established that. So then let's look, let's address this issue real quick about where this tradition comes that, you know, maybe some of the Jewish people were saying that, well, listen, we don't count days like you do, you know, a full 24 hours. It may not be a day. 
Well, let's just look and see what the Bible has to say about that. Look at John chapter 11. Back to the New Testament. John chapter number 11. Look at about verse 10, verse 9. Verse 9. Oh, look at what he said. This Jesus talking to. This ain't Paul, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, Cyrus, Gene, Julie, Larry. This Jesus. He said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Are there not 12 hours in the day? Well, there's two parts. There's a day and a night. Now, we know the cycle is 24 hours. It never refers to anything about night. Even the Jewish tradition that people contend, well, the Jews didn't look at a day as, uh, you know, uh, 24 hours. They didn't look at the day the way that we look at it. They never said anything about night. They just contend about day. That's all they say. Well, here Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in the day? Now, again, I'm not a Rhodes Scholar. I'm not a mathematician, but knowing that a full cycle is 24 hours, I would think that if there's 24 hours in the, I mean, 12 hours in a day, that there would be 12 hours in a night. That's just me. Maybe you can count it up a little differently. You can get to 24 a little different. But if there's 12 hours in a day, there's 12 hours in the night. So 24 hours. So if he said, I was in the belly of the earth, just like Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, three days and three nights, has to be three 24-hour periods. You can't get to 6 p.m. Friday to 6 a.m. Sunday morning with three 24-hour periods. In fact, he would have had to have risen exactly 72 hours after he was crucified. Three days and three nights. Are there not 12 hours in a day? Let's look at some more stuff. We're almost done. We're getting there. We're getting there. When did he rise from the dead? Matthew. Go back to Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. Three days and three nights. I'm going to look right at the the first verse. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the, stu- the, tu- the stone from the door, and he sat on it. In other words, he was gone. Verse 5, but the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. After the Sabbath... As the first day of the week began to dawn. So this Sabbath was not referring to the Passover. How do we know that? Because it says as the first day of the week began to dawn. The first day of the week was Sunday. Even to them just as it is to us. So early Sunday morning after the Sabbath was over. Now. Remember when we said, does anybody remember when the Sabbath was? The Sabbath began 6 p.m. Friday and it ended 6 p.m. Saturday. It it began 6 p.m. Friday. It ended 6 p.m. Saturday. So at the end of 6 p.m. Saturday, it started a new day. So Jesus could have risen any time after 6 p.m. Saturday, because it says after the Sabbath, she went there. He could have risen any time. After three days, three days and three nights, I will be in the belly. So, it, so we do know that it wasn't, you know, like a Monday and a Thursday type of thing. We know that he rose and he was, had risen before Mary got to the tomb early 
Sunday morning. So we can backtrack from there to find out when he was crucified. Well, before we do that, let's compute real quick how God computes the time of day. How does God compute it? Go to the book of Genesis. Thank you, Sister Lois. Right at the beginning. Let's see what God says. How does he compute days? How do we compute days? We, we think our day begins or we know that our day begins when? Usually when you wake up in the morning, right? Oh, yes. Day has begun. That's all right. That's for us, right? I mean, technically it begins right after midnight is the next day for us, right? Because we go by the Julian calendar. This was not the Julian calendar. This was the Yahweh calendar, okay? All right? The Yahweh calendar. So... Let's look and see how God looks at time and days and all that kind of thing. Genesis chapter 1, look at verse number 5. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Remember, 12 hours and 12 hours, okay? So the evening and the morning were the first day. Look at verse 8. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Look at verse 13. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse 19. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. You kind of see in a pattern here? Verse 23. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Look all the way down. Where are we at? Verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Every account, when he talks about a day, he counts it evening and morning. Evening and morning, right? Not we wake up in the morning, and then at night our day is over. Evening and morning. And remember, their, their day, so their day really started at 6 p.m. So 6 p.m. today, Sunday, by the Yahweh calendar, begins Monday. Because the night comes first. You see that? Right? Evening and day. I mean, evening and morning. Right? That was the first day. Evening and morning. That was the second day. Evening and morning. Third, fourth, fifth. Evening and morning were the sixth day. Okay? So, if we look at it like that, we know that uh, reading the account of Jesus' crucifixion, he was crucified sometime... uh, around before a little before 6 p.m bible talks about that again i know it's getting late we don't have time to go into all that um but he was he was crucified at that time so then if you look at it evening and morning evening and morning evening and morning that's right it would seem like maybe on a wednesday he was crucified so i don't know how many people would like to celebrate good wednesday with me (laughs) but I don't mind celebrating Good Friday that's all right but I'm also going to celebrate Good Wednesday because I believe that's when Jesus was crucified if you look at evening and morning even now listen I'm saying all this to say don't you know I'm not trying to cause any waves I'm not trying to upset the world and all that but we must have knowledge right because if we don't the Lord will not be very happy with us just listening to what other people say Come on, and just going by what tradition is, because Jesus came to break all that. It's important. Let me address one very last thing, and that is sunrise service. Is it illegal? No. (laughs) Is it going to send us to hell? Absolutely not. But I want to show you where I think it came from. A lot of people, maybe not most, not all, but a lot of people celebrate by having a sunrise service because of the fact that they believe Jesus rose Sunday morning, which is okay. But let's look. One last scripture. This is it, I promise you, for today. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Verse number 
This is where we kind of get, I believe, sunrise service from. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week. See, people say, aha, I knew, Mike, I knew there was a scripture in there that said he rose early on Sunday morning. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. I'm trying to see if I should say this or not. What's that? The Bible, when it was written, was written in continuous text, right? We know that. It was written on scrolls. There was no punctuation, none of that kind of stuff. All of that was added later so that we could kind of, for ourselves, make some sense out of it. So there's two things that I'd like to submit, submit to you about this scripture here, Mark 16, 9. Reading it with the comma where it is, I'm not going to change it. You know, listen, I'm not changing the Bible. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, it would seem like it's saying he rose early on the first day of the week. What if Brother Mark was saying, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary. Well, I'm going to leave that at that because I don't want to add any commas or anything to the Bible. But here's what I will say. Remember, we said that the day begins when? 6 p.m. Saturday. So he could have risen any time after 6 p.m. She just came there early Sunday morning. He was gone. Doesn't say what time he rose. Okay? So here's what I'm saying with that. If we want to have sunrise service, that is fine. I think, it's, I think it's good. We probably should do that more. But we just must have knowledge, people. That's all I'm trying to tell you. We must have the knowledge of the scripture and not go by tradition and what people say. Okay? We must be able to defend the Bible. Right? And I'll tell you why. This is what I'm going to leave you with. I'll tell you why. Because if we do not have knowledge, you know how easily you could get tripped up by somebody who wants to fight with you, argue with you about religion, about something else. They trip you up so easy. And if you don't know your word, you might even start thinking, well, maybe that's right. But if you know the Bible, I said this before. That, you know, there are many other religions, there are many other ways of thinking. And for us as Christians, it's more important for us to not really go out and understand all the other religions of the world so that we can defend Christianity. What's more important for us is to know the word of God and what God is saying, period. Then it doesn't matter who comes at you with what, because you know the word of God. You're in prayer with the Holy Spirit, getting a revelation of what God is telling you. And then that way, when someone comes at you, when they want to talk to you about the Lord, about God, about science, whatever it is, you have scripture, not just here, but in your heart. That's why it's important, like Brother Chris was saying, there's some scripture we need to memorize, and scripture is a good thing. It's not the only thing, but it's a good thing. Here's the bottom line to, to, to all this. I go back to the very first scripture that we gave. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Very first passage of scripture. Bottom line to all this stuff, all this knowledge, some of it may seem to be controversial and all that. I would implore you to study to show yourself approved. I wanted to bring all this out on today, the day that we celebrate Palm Sunday, because next week I'm going to focus on the name of Jesus, the na- what, the, what the resurrection begat, right? What it, what, it, what it means. I want to focus on that. But all this stuff was on my heart. The bottom line to all this is that they crucified Christ. There was sin. The sin of the world was put upon him in other words it just wasn't on his shoulders i've said this before that he had the sin of the world on his shoulders but i correct myself god corrects me he didn't have the sin of the world on his shoulders people he became sin 
He was our sin. All of that sin was him. And he died on the cross. What does that mean? That means that all of our sin died on the cross. All the sin that you committed, all the future sin that you will commit already died on the cross. All it takes from us is a repentance. We must repent. The Bible says that. All right? We must repent. But all of our sin was on him. The good thing about it is that was not the end of the story when Jesus died on the cross. Because on the third day, the the stone was rolled away. Jesus rose from being in the belly of the earth after he had preached to the captivity. And he took them captive himself. He rose again and he was resurrected and is yet alive at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. And so now we who have confessed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior have nothing more to worry about. Because your name is now written in the Lamb's book of life. Should you get off track, the Holy Spirit of God will convict you. And if you're not being convicted by the Holy Spirit of God, you need to go back and look. Make sure that you gave your heart to the Lord. Stand to our feet this morning. Jesus took all of your sin. Now, let me just add this to it as we get ready to dismiss. He took all of your sin. One of the purposes for that is that so you could be saved. That you could be a new creature. Old things passed away. All things become new. But guess what? There's other things that come along with that salvation. A lot of us just stop at the salvation. We crossed over. Oh, it'll be all right in a sweet by and by. Here's what God wants you to know this morning. He died on the cross for your salvation. He died on the cross for your healing. He died on the cross for your peace. He died on the cross that you and I might live an abundant life. Because he is able to do exceeding abundantly, far above all that we can ask or think. God loves you personally this morning. Not just as he loves the church. And here's the thing about it. With all your mistakes, all of your shortcomings, all of your failures, all the lies you've told, all of the attitude that you've had, all the things you've done wrong, and I'm not throwing no stones. (laughs) Anyone who lives in a glass house shouldn't throw any stones. And I would never point the finger at you. Three more pointing back at me. But I'm saying for all of us, out of all the mess we've been in, All that we've done. He knew all of it. And still died on the cross for our sins. And still loves you. Unconditionally. Despite all of those things. So don't you feel less than anyone else. Because the master has his hand on you. He is not mad at you. He is madly in love with you. Wooing you. To repent if you need to. To have faith if you need to. To speak his word in every situation if you're not doing that. To get to know him better by reading his word. To get to know him better by being on your knees and praying. He's wooing you unto himself even this morning.